Hello and welcome to Unsound Theories. I'm Kat. I'm Kira. And we watch movies with no sound and no subtitles and try to figure out what the hell is going on. Spoiler! We don't. So, music. so yeah, yeah, there's music and then, and then, and then, okay. Season two of Unsound Theories. Is this season two or is this season three? What is season two? Uh, Season two was cut short by a writer's strike. Right, 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 right. So for season three, all new characters, all new, all new format, same as the old format. Exactly the same. (laughs) Uh, But this time we now have hidden immunity idols. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, um, a movie that's actually enjoyable. And everything that happened before is not canon. That means Flopjaw is no longer canon? No longer canon. All right, I'll write that out of my Unsound Theories fic. I'm so sorry. That's all, that's all legends. That's Unsound Theories legends. (laughs) Okay, Unsound Theories legends it is. (laughs) Uh, Emma is here. Uh, because we live together now, big surprise. Um, just on the other side of the TV, hearing half of this conversation and laughing at the things that I say, <laughs> <laughs> which is absolutely delightful. Oh, I'm sure it'll really up the chaos levels. Okay, so Kira, what did I choose for us to watch this week? Oh, oh, this week we watched a little movie called The Raven. The Raven, um, from not, 1963. It's not The Crow. No, Aaron and I watched The Crow recently, though, and it's a phenomenal movie. Um, but it, yeah, it is The Raven, though. Yes. Different Corvid. Di- yeah, yeah. Similar, but different. So, let's let's run down. This is one where, um, uh, at the, it, during the end credits, they gave us the character names and everything like that. Don't give a shit. But also, it's one that stars a series of very recognizable actors if you're a fan of, like, old-school horror movies. Yeah. So, the lead character is played by Vincent Price. The deuteragonist is Peter Lorre. The antagonist is Boris Karloff. Yeah. Yeah. And in a very early role, the coachman who is extremely handsy, is played by Jack Nicholson. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, We got all the big hitters here. Um, Do you want me to go through some of the names I gave gave some of them? Also, let's just take a note. None of the women were in the starring role uh, listed as starring. No, none of the women were listed as starring. Because then they'd probably have to, like, pay them or something, so... And, I mean, like, I think the movie was intended to be a vehicle for the three lead actors. Yeah. So, uh, I'm just uh, so uh Vincent Vincent Price, I I decided to name him Little Timmy. Little Timmy. 
Uh, I'll tell you why. Uh, I don't know if you picked up on this. This might just me be me being completely fucking insane. But he gave me really big, like, child in an adult's body vibes. Those, I will say those are not the vibes that I got from him. Huh. But I can see where you would get that. <laughs> at least at least early in the movie. Yes. It, he's, it's an odd sort of introduction, obviously without sound even more so. But like, we come upon, the opening sequence is just colors, and I suppose probably narration. It might be narration, it might just be colors, who knows? I, I mean, when, because Vincent Price is well known for doing his spooky narration that ends with him going, ah, 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 Like in Thriller, or in a local television show made in Hamilton, Ontario, called, oh god, what was the show called? Um, Aaron sent me a link to this thing. It was like Frank and something or other. Frank, it'll Frank it'll and, be here Frank in a second. Fuckers. It's pretty goddamn close. <laughs> the hilarious house of Frankenstein. Holy shit! I'm too good at everything. <laughs> I mean, too good or good enough? I mean, yes. Okay, do we want to give a very brief plot synopsis? No. I don't know. I don't know what the plot of this is. I know what this movie is about. Okay. Okay. All right. We've got two wizard guys. I yes. don't know if they they clearly don't know each other and one of them it may or may not be a Spanish Catholic priest. Mhm. Mm um the other guy is the blue raja from Mystery Men. You know, not inaccurate. <laughs> um, as far as I'm aware, I get the impression that, and I don't know what the call to action is, but Vincent Price is definitely some sort of magician because it starts off yeah, with him yeah. doodling a raven with magic. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. like, if I'm a sorcerer of that caliber, hanging out in my sorcerer's castle, I'm going to go and, like, entertain myself by doodling stuff, you know? Like, I, I, the thing that I appreciate about this movie is it has a realistic portrayal of the flippant use of magic that a powerful sorcerer would have. Yeah, but he also doesn't seem to actually live there. Like, he seemed, he he struck me as, like, confused about, like... He kept running into shit and, like... Yes, he bumped into his telescope a lot a lot a lot a lot so much so i counted the number of bumps that he took both on the telescope and otherwise and he definitely he took a bump three bumps on the telescope and then later on one bump from i don't know his doorman or something like that yeah. I, one of his servants went feral <laughs> yes i don't know what was what was that I think it's that um, Vincent Price's character was being attacked by the evil wizard Boris Karloff. Oh, like at, through, through his servants. Yes, using okay. magical mind control. 
Okay, I can to turn them into feral beasties. He also Uh, hasn't used his. He hadn't used his alchemy lab in a while. Yeah, I I think probably he seemed very unfamiliar with it. Like it looked like he was just because there's okay. He uh, a fucking raven comes in through the window after he draws a raven with magic, right? And yes. Now I just want to say real quick that in a movie with a number of phenomenal actors. That raven stole the show in terms of its acting. Oh, absolutely. I love that raven. I want to give it a treat. It deserves whatever treat is appropriate for ravens. Yeah. It like that the the raven was responsive to Vincent Price in a way that was really really cool to see. Like the raven didn't like it it, it wasn't like distracted. It kept itself like it was a very well-trained bird. It was a true professional and a joy to work with on set. And, like, it seems like the bird had a very good working relationship with Vincent Price. Yeah. You can tell they were clearly fucking, like, outside of shooting. Uh. uh, (laughs) I can't yes and that, because I don't want us to become a podcast that condones that. (laughs) Well, okay, but here's the thing. He turns the raven into a dude, so it's fine. Yes, he turns the raven into Peter Lorre. Yeah, it's Who... so it's totally fine. So, um, so he's he brings this raven into his alchemy lab in his wizard tower. I wrote wrote out his laboratory in it's... the Vincent Price voice. It seemed like he was unfamiliar with the contents of that lab and was taking instruction from the raven. Okay, so here's my thought. There's a strong chance that Vincent Price, like his character, uh, little Timmy, (laughs) is just straight zooted at the start of this movie. (laughs) That would not be surprised, yeah. Like, he's high on that wizard shit. Oh, yeah. He's got that that magic space weed. He's got space weed and DAC fuel running through his veins. <laughs> exactly. He's he's absolutely blitzed. Uh, <laughs> I I thought at first that the Raven might be his dead wife. Yeah, that is an interesting metaphor in reflection on Poe. Because mm-hmm. I think in Poe, the Raven is representative of grief. In this movie. The Raven is representative of Peter Lorre. Yes. Who, uh, as we all know, uh, famously played Grief in a movie. Definitely. Yeah, it definitely happened. Um, so, at some point, I did not realize they were going to turn Peter Lorre into Peter Lorre. Mm-hmm, I thought the mm-hmm. Raven was just talking and dubbed over by one of either Boris Karlov or Peter Lorre, and we would never actually get to see the actor on screen. <laughs> and I thought that was great. Yeah. Turns out it was not. Um, and then there's a seg- segment where the raven is drinking, and then Vincent Price is mimicking him, and then suddenly, instead of a raven, it's Peter Lorre, but yep. with shitty little wing arms. Yeah, he's got shitty little wing arms. And then they go, and then Vincent Price... Cuts some hair off a corpse. His father's corpse, from what I understand. Is that his father's corpse? Okay. 
Yes. And the corpse, like, grabs him by the throat and yells at him for a second. Yeah, calling him a layabout and a disappointment for being so effeminate, most likely. Probably, yeah. Um, Which is a good segue into us talking about uh, Vincent Price and how he had a 30-year-long bye-for-bye marriage where he and his wife were just, like, super chill and did a lot of campaigning for um like gay rights in the 70s and 80s that's fucking rad yeah like he was a staunchly opposed to anita bryant not sure if you're familiar with that segment of um queer history but she was a singer and popular musician who you know in typical good christian worman fashion decided that it was her mission as a christian to deny any and all rights for gay people. Yeah, so she sucks. Yes, but she claims she did it out of love because she wanted to save their souls. Of course, of course. And was responsible for the movement forward with a number of anti-gay legislation that, you know, just so happened to be that a lot of the country at the time was enamored with Reagan fever and, and... Ugh. Yeah. Absolutely <sighs> miserable. But, like, it's kind of neat to have someone like Vincent Price who, like, openly played with queerness on screen as a very famous actor, like a household name. Yeah. And, like, in essence, it connects... Sorry, I'm going to do a little diatribe. I've started doing, like, essay slash rants on working out, and you know, <laughs> it's just a thing that I do now. All right, all right, go. Um, it is really exemplary of the connection that horror movies and queerness have. Like, how in horror, it, it's, it, it's like one of those things where horror has been very connected to queer identities for a really, really long time through classic horror and, like, the horror in the 80s and stuff like that. And it's yeah, really neat to have one of the faces of that be a bisexual man, you know? Yeah. Like, it's pretty neat. That and that's my bad. little I agree. diatribe about how the queerness that Vincent Price lived and portrayed makes me treasure his work all the more and makes him an undeniable important part of the, I don't want to say canon, but not even zeitgeist. It's, it's okay, like, Kat. This season of Unsound Theories is canon. Right. So he's right, part of the right. canon. Yes, he's part of the canon of Unsound Theories now. Yeah. So that's my little Vincent Price rant. Okay, um, Vincent Price. So one of the things that I noted as we were about half an hour into the movie, because I took a page of notes on the first half hour and then like a page and a half on the next hour. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh, same. Um, so I, I, I just thought it was amusing that we were watching a movie starring three men notable for their particular and peculiar manners of speech. Yeah, yeah, and we're just, we're just not. We're just not. <laughs> we're not hearing any of that. <laughs> I One thing I did notice about Peter Lorre is he looked... Very wet. Yes. And he, he, um, 
I hate to bring it up this early, but it is an unofficial part. And I'm going to make it canon now that it's part of this season of Unsound Theories. It's now canonical again. Our hair crime of the week oh, yeah. belongs yeah. to Peter Laurie <laughs> for his disgusting plastered down fringe. Oh, no, it was so bad. And it looked like it was just dripping onto his face. It, it was... It was a lot, which yeah. is why I'm very glad that this movie <laughs> also had a significant number of wonderful-looking hats. Well, wonderful is a word for sure that you could use um, I for the I, I'm not saying they are good, but they are full of wonder, as in I'm wondering why anyone <laughs> thought that was a good idea to wear. True, true, very true. Um... There's this scene that actually genuinely had me bust up laughing. So they go to, like, I don't know, look at Vincent Price's character's dead wife, who I assume is named Lenore because it's an Edgar Allan Poe thing. Of course. So yeah. they go to look at Lenore's sense. corpse for one reason or another, possibly because there's rumors that she's alive and living with this rival sorcerer, I guess. See, I thought that maybe um, he was trying to find a way to, like, revive her. And the uh, raven knew some shit about necromancy. I, I was thinking that, like, because she shows up in Boris Karlov's castle later on. I think he, I think when they open the coffin, they figure out it's a fake, like a uh, fake body in there. Uh, but before they open the coffin, he's got, like, a a shawl or something laid over the top. I don't know what you would call the schmata that he had on there. Um, but they like take that off of the coffin and they fold it. They work together to fold it very nicely and they put it, you know, fold it again. It's all like oh, very yes. And then Peter Laurie just fucking yeets it over <laughs> his shoulder and it I... lands on the ground. And I fucking died. <laughs> That was my first indication that hey, maybe this movie's actually a comedy. Yes, it's it is it is definitely a comedy, and that was n never more obvious than Vincent Price taking a fourth bump and getting knocked out. <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, were, I had so many like ideas about like at this point in the movie, I I was like. Maybe the Raven knew his dead wife and, and, like, had some information for him. Or, like, maybe the Raven was, like, attempting to get Vincent Price to become a Raven himself and take his place as the Chosen One among Ravenkind. Or, or, I mean, who knows? I genuinely don't know. Oh, I... oh, oh! I did come up with an extremely good name for, for the raven, the, the man okay. raven. Since he wanted to be a real boy, I named him Pinocchio. Pinocchio? Like, like, because pinion feathers are a type of feather mm -hmm. on, on a bird. So, I did that. That is a very good joke. <laughs> I I know the, the appropriate reaction to a good joke is laughing <laughs> and not saying yes, good joke. <laughs> Jolly good show. <laughs> but I 
since we've done that that I think I forgot how to laugh at jokes. <laughs> oh no! Oh god. Okay. Oh man. So, um, there's a fight scene with one of his, with one of Vincent Price's henchmen, who I guess is being mind controlled. Yeah. Um, I think there's a point where Peter Lorre tries to knock him out with like a or the daughter tries to knock him out with like a vase or something like that by breaking it over his head, and she does that, and then he just no sells it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's like, just ah. like uh, no. It's a very silly movie. There's a lot of slapstick. And then Jack Nicholson shows up, but it's... Oh, no, I apologize. I completely skipped over the scene where they tried to dress Peter Lorre's character, um, Pinocchio, and he goes through, like, four different capes before arriving on one that he likes. Yeah. And then, like, five different hats before he ends up with, like, a weird square hat. (laughs) I don't know what they're called. Do you okay? Do you think he was a man who was turned into a raven and then Vincent Price unravened him, or do you think he was just a random raven that got manned? I think he was a. I think he was a sorcerer because he does magic later on. He does do a little bit of magic. Yeah, was he so like? I think... Do you think he was um the 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 bad guy's like apprentice or something? I maybe I I I feel like maybe I I think like I think what happened was he transfigured himself into a raven and got stuck. Oh, he went like animorphs. He stayed stayed more than two hours. Yeah, he Tobiased himself. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that sucks. You hate to see that. So yeah, he, Peter Lorre has like the uh like one of those medieval square hats where it's like a square but also a kind of like a felt beanie yeah i don't know how to describe them vincent price is wearing a fez wrapped in silk it's very his entire his entire outfit is just blue raja from mystery men it's it's a good outfit though like it 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 absolutely has no basis in historical context in any way shape or form and it's just a strange strange outfit that he wears because he is Vincent Price. Yeah. And I think more movies need to do that. I feel like the script maybe didn't even call for him to wear that, and he just showed up to on set wearing that. And that's why they had so many mismatched capes. Yeah. He brought his own costume from home. Exactly. There's just like a panoply of hats in this movie. Everyone has a weird hat of some sort. I, I feel like they just like the 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 costume department had to have just like raided a community theater costume like a, closet. I I want to say it's like a community Shakespeare company. Yeah, yeah, that is absolutely the vibe I got from every single costume. It's like, well, we just finished this run of Merchant of Venice. <laughs> what are we gonna do with these costumes now? And then Vincent Price sweeps in. Yes, please pass me your costumes. <laughs> um, so there's they get to Boris Karlov's castle through some sort of magic. I think he ensorcels Jack Nicholson to make him drive the horses fast to get to 
the other castle. I swear to God, this other castle has got to be, like, at most five miles away. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, definitely visible from the other castle. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't totally sure, like, were they intending to go to that castle, or? I guess, I have no idea. I'm sure if I watch it with sound, it'll make sense, but I have no idea. <laughs> um, so I have a note here, and you know, it usually starts off good when I say I have a note here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just wrote, Peter Laurie is a little freak in this, and I love that for him. <laughs> yes. More movies should be filled with weirdo freak sorcerers with unplaceable accents and elaborate costumes. Yes, absolutely. More of that, please, Hollywood. Just, like, let let actors be little freak weirdos for a little bit. <laughs> exactly. That's what they that's are. That's all I really want. <laughs> we, we know that's what they are all the time outside of the movie. Just let them bring that energy into the movie. Like, um, you know who would be good as, like, a little weird freak in a wizard movie? Um, Jeremy Strong, the guy who plays Kendall Roy on Succession. His whole deal is how deeply he gets into character. Uh-huh. And just let him be a little weirdo, like he is in real life. No offense <laughs> to Jeremy Strong if he listens to this show. I mean, I feel like all actors are little weirdos in real life, right? Like, you kind of have to be. Yeah, like, I I knew the drama people in high school. They're yeah. all little weirdos. <sighs> oh, so, like, the movie continues... With Peter Laurie attempting to do magic and, I guess, kill Boris Karlov's character. Uh, what did you name him? Uh, I didn't really give him a name. I just called him the priest because he gave me big Spanish Catholic priest vibes. That's fair. He did have a little cardinal's hat on. Y yeah, I, I don't know what about, like, exactly what about him it was, but his whole vibe was, like, creepy priest. I did name the daughter, um... Mad Marion, cause fucking uh, the 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 other dude was had big Robin Hood vibes, right? Yep. Um, and so she was Mad Marion, cause you you gotta be mad to hang out with these dudes, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> that is a good joke. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Um so at this point they do a limp wand joke. Yeah. Yeah. Which is probably the worst part of the movie so far. <laughs> and then Boris Karlov uses lightning to basically vaporize Peter Lorre. I was I was slightly shocked that the, the titular character of the movie was murdered halfway through. It was it was a little weird. Um have Do we have a break for mid-roll? I mean sh 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 sure. We'll leave the audience on a cliffhanger. Cliff. What happened to Peter Laurie's character, aka Pinocchio? <laughs> Hey listeners, it's been a minute. We're really glad to share that Unsound Theories will be coming back full-time, starting with this episode. 
That is thanks in part to my having moved to Canada. While we await my permits and paperwork, I'll be working full-time on productions for Sosa's Media, so we're going to be making new episodes of this, and our other shows, a priority. With that said, now's a vital time to support us on Patreon. If you pledge as little as a dollar a month, you'll gain access to everything, including the planned quarterly special Unsound Theories Remake Rewind, where Kira and I watch a movie and its remake back-to-back with sound and talk about them both. Supporting us on Patreon is also a great way to gain access to closed playtests of my upcoming tabletop RPGs and some really exciting one-shot RPG content. I hope you'll consider supporting us, but if you don't or can't, you're still a valued member of our audience, and we appreciate you just as much. With all that said, let's get back to find out if Pinocchio survived his fight with the Catholic priest. I'm on the edge of my seat, personally. Okay, so at this point in the movie, I was thinking, like, what if this is, like, a haunted mansion challenge where it's, like, if you can stay the night without getting vaporized, you get a special prize and you get to fuck this magical lady that I made up here. You get to fuck your dead wife one more time. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. Peter Laurie shows up and says, I choose that guy's dead wife too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so it, it, the, they like go over and investigate the blood stain, and then I, you know, doing my lip reading. It's it was very obvious what Vincent Price says here, which is raspberry jam. <laughs> what? The blood stain was not blood; it was raspberry jam. Okay, okay. So really, it was just that Boris Karlov did a typical magician's vanish mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. an unwitting subject. Yeah, yeah, it was very clear, like, I, at this point, I knew that the Catholic priest guy can't actually do magic, and it's just tricks. Because I thought, I thought his whole deal was he makes ladies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, he just does tricks so he can get more lady-making parts. Lady-making parts. Now we're entering Frankenstein territory. I mean, how else would you make a lady? Uh, a zygote? Okay, but imagine you're a creepy Catholic priest who your entire purpose in life is to make ladies so you can touch ladies. How are you going to get one of those? Uh, I'm going to work on myself so I'm a little less creepy. (laughs) Okay, okay. That, okay, but here's the thing. That precludes you from being a Catholic priest. (laughs) That's fine with you me. Can't, you can't be a Catholic priest and be a person who is willing to become a better person. So it sounds like I'm stuck in this scenario. Like, just as a given, you're a Catholic priest. Uh, okay, so if that's the case, um, I kill myself. Too, that's that's too, it. Too, too ethical. Too ethical for a Catholic priest cat. Think, think creepier. Pervial, I, we're, we're talking pervy old man who constructs ladies out of thin air so that he can touch ladies. I think I'm just not a good person for this hypothetical scenario <laughs> as an ex-Catholic current Jewish conversion candidate. Okay, okay. I forget why this, <laughs> why we're even talking about this scenario. I don't know! <laughs> um, 
Okay, so at one point, the person who I've referred to as fake Lenore, because I don't know that she's the real dead wife at this point. Okay. Um, she's definitely, like, trying at conspiring with Boris Karlov's character, the Catholic priest. Oh, she gets I don't real horny for murder. Yeah, I guess they're trying to murder Vincent Price, like she was unhappy in the marriage or whatever, and I, I don't. Now we yeah. have to murder Craven. I think is his name. Okay, okay, that makes sense. It's it's like the the name of the movie, but with a C. Mm-hmm. Um. So she's undressing, and she has uh a hook and eye clasp or a series of them on her dress. Mm-hmm. And I had to look it up to see when those were invented. Not that there needs to be any verisimilitude in costuming, <laughs> but I was just curious when the hook and eye dates back to. It turns out that the first mention of it is in the 1300s. Oh, damn. And we know from Craven's father's grave that this takes place after the in or after the 1400s. Okay. So technically, the hook and eye clasp is appropriate. There you have it. Mystery solved. Um, I don't know that the telescope is, though. Because uh, I don't know when lens crafting would have gotten that good. No, but maybe it was just decorative. Like, it didn't actually work. <laughs> so it's just a long metal cylinder for fun? It was like concept art. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so... <sighs> So it was around this time when she was getting really horny for murder mm-hmm. that I remembered that I could put music on. See, I thought about doing that, but I, like every time I put music on, I I try to do like a a weird album sync. And but by the time I thought of it, it was I was like twenty minutes into the movie, so I was like, "Fuck it, I'm suffering." I put on Rick Wakeman. And the, like, Six Wives of Henry VIII or whatever, mm-hmm. which is a fun time. It was thematically appropriate, kind of. Fair. Relatively. I will allow it. Um, And then it was at this point that I then paused the movie, went outside, smoked a bunch, and then came back in to watch the rest of the movie. <laughs> that feels like a good choice. So, you know, I used my THC powers to cause time dilation so I could write more notes. Nice. Nice. There, they had like a full-on fucking wizard's duel at the end of this. Yes. And that So actually, rocked. This, this inspired me. And it was like, I, I came up with an idea for a tabletop RPG. You know, that other thing that I do all the time, come up with RPG ideas and then never finish them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, do you remember Disney's Sword in the Stone? How yeah, there's that wizard duel between Merlin and Morgan Le Fay where they are, they're, like, turning each other into different animals with magic? Uh-huh. Nobody's actually, like, trying to kill each other, they're just magicking each other into different animals. It's a, it's a magical dick measuring contest. Exactly. And I want to make an RPG where you play as weirdo sorcerers trying to outdo each other in like you know banal displays of magic in a magical dick measuring contest. God, that sounds rad as fuck. 
And, like, I think I have the mechanics kind of nailed down. You need to have some sort of, like, magical parry where, like... Because, like, in the in the movie, Boris Karloff is like, Aha, here's a snake around your neck! <laughs> and then Vincent Price is like, Actually, it's a scarf. Fuck you. Yeah, no, there was a lot of, like, magical... So, um... Our most recent one-shot on Chicks with Dice, we played the, the game I Have the High Ground. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm kind of reasonably certain that we could just do this weirdo wizard fight in that game. Yeah. You, I, I don't know. It, it, I have to kind of play around with it, because that game is supposed to be the banter before an actual duel happens. Mm. And this would be the actual duel. Okay. Yeah. I'm... I mean, there's gotta be. There's gotta be a way to do it. Emma is going to bed. Everyone say goodnight, Emma. Goodnight, Emma. So yeah, they have this like very weird wizard duel. Um, but first they're captured. Yeah. So th- Vincent Price gets like frozen with magic. Yeah. And then they um they like Shibari Peter Laurie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they start heating up a hot poker. So I assume this is gonna be like an Edward the Second scenario. Oh a what? Um, Edward the Second, the uh King of England, who was rather famously or legendarily um executed via a hot metal stake in the Jaxie. Ooh. Yeah. You hate to see it. You hate to see it. Yeah. You hate to smell it too. Ugh. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um there's um basically I think the lesson we can learn from this is don't travel to England. Oh god no. Why would you? Um poor judgment? Yeah. There's no good reason to be there. Never go to England. Never go to England. So at some point through this they re-raven Peter Laurie. Yeah. Which is extremely convenient, because then he can use his raven beak to chew through the ropes, the ropes holding other to people. The ropes Vincent Price. Yeah. Who can then engage in wizard duo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, like, they do, like, a full-on, like, fucking Dragon Ball Z-ass, like, blah, tossing energy at each other to start off with, and, and Vincent mm-hmm. Price wins. And then they just sort of, like, calmly walk out... To to the the front room and sit in chairs across from each other and just start doing weird magic shit at each other. Yes, I think they declare a formal wizard duel. Yeah. <laughs> Sorcerer combo. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking good as fuck. I and, I love like, that duel. Oh, the magic special effects were so so adorable yes like boris karloff throws an axe at vincent price at one point <laughs> and it's just a sh- it's like they hired a 12 year old no 12 year olds are better at art than that they hired like someone they it's someone basically just drew the shittiest cartoon axe you can imagine yeah yeah it was so good it like it, it just it looked awful um, you know, it just, 
<laughs> and it's superimposed in a really funny way. <laughs> yeah. I love the special <laughs> effects in this movie. Oh. It was there's there's a, a fucking there's a point where there's a cannonball fired and it's just like a blue circle on the screen. Mm-hmm. Oh um, god. I think my favorite uh like moment was when Boris Karlov does the haha, I'm your dad. Oops, a spear trick. Yeah, yeah. And then Vincent Price has replaced himself with a like with a with a literal straw man yeah. dummy. Yeah. And he's sitting on top of the chandelier and drops eggs on Boris Karlov, who's very upset about getting egged. So he drops the chandelier with Vincent Price sitting on it. Yeah. And the world's worst body double dummy of Vincent Price <laughs> falls down with the chandelier. Yes! It didn't even have pupils painted on. Like, I don't think it was ever intended that this movie would be watched in the kind of definition that we got to see it no, in. No, absolutely not. But, oh my god, that was so bad. <laughs> um, And, like, they just do a bunch of, like, magic at each other until they get angry, and then they start doing energy beam attacks at each other again. Except Boris Karloff has been worn down by the magic of Vincent Price. Yeah. And he gets greened? He... He, he, he turns green. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know what that means. I don't think he tech... I don't think he dies from it. He just loses. Yeah, like, no, because he he doesn't die, but his castle does, like, fall apart and burn down. Right, so he and fake Lenore die in the castle. Yeah. The rest of them go back to the main, to the, to the, to Vincent Price's house. And he tries to give Peter Lorre the potion to make him human again, and Peter Lorre as a raven is like, Ma! Ma! No! I like being a bird. I can spy on people. And I can poop on them. <laughs> Famously, that's what birds do. Mm-hmm. And then Vincent Price uses magic to make the raven shut up. And then turns to the camera, looks deeply into the lens, and says, from lip-reading again, Quoth the raven, nevermore. And then the fucking movie ends. <laughs> God. What a, what a treat. And then the credits roll, and I find out that Richard fucking Matheson wrote this movie. <laughs> like, Richard Matheson, the man who wrote I Am Legend. Really? Um, which was made three... Yeah, so that I Am Legend was made into three separate movies. Um, the Last Man on Earth, starring Vincent Price, which was released a year after this. So that's how the casting, I guess, happened for The Last Man on Earth. Um, the Omega Man, starring Charlton Heston, which came out in the 70s. And then Will Smith's I Am Legend. Um, I'm trying to think of like other things that you might know Richard Matheson from. Hmm. Um, he wrote a bunch of Twilight Zone episodes. Um, the Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, the one with William Shatner saying there's something on the wing, where he sees a gremlin on the wing oh, outside oh, of the plane. Oh, yeah, 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 that one. I remember that one. 
and then um the one called Steel, which I think then was made into or inspired that movie Real Steel. The wait, what movie was that? That was the one with oh god, who was in that? That was a terrible movie. Hugh Jackman, where boxing has been replaced by android boxing. Oh, wait, no. I think I vaguely remember that being a thing and having no interest in watching it. Yeah, no, n- neither did I. Um, yeah, it's it's an odd one. Richard Matheson did write a lot of very good stories, though. Like, um, The Shrinking Man, which became The Incredible Shrinking Man as a film. <laughs> um, what Dreams May Come, which became a Academy Award-winning movie starring Robin Williams, Koopa Gooding Jr., and a couple of other people. Um, yeah, like a bunch of stuff. Uh, fairly well-known stuff that is relatively highly regarded. And also, The Raven. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, what else would you do? Uh, continue to make good stories? Uh, yeah. I mean, this was a good story, right? I don't know. It does kind of, it, it does have to suck, though, that, like, you know, your third novel in the one you wrote in the 1950s is the thing you're most well-known for despite writing novels until, like, 2012. Yeah, that's true. So, that's probably a little annoying. Yeah, I I agree. What, can you tell me what this movie was actually about? Okay. The Raven is a 1963 American comedy horror film produced by Roger Corman. It stars Vincent Price, Peter Lorre, and Boris Karloff as a trio of rival sorcerers. The supporting cast includes Jack Nicholson as the son of Lorre's character. Okay. Um... Three decades earlier, Boris Karloff had appeared in another film with the same title, Lou Lander's 1935 horror film The Raven with Bela Lugosi. Plot. The year is 1506. The sorcerer, Dr. Erasmus Craven, has been mourning the death of his wife Lenore for over two years, much to the dismay of his daughter Estelle. One night he is visited by a raven who happens to be a transformed wizard. Dr. Bedlow. Okay, so he was a man who was ravened and not a raven who was manned. Together they brew a potion that restores Bedlow to his old self. Bedlow explains that he had been transformed by the evil Dr. Scarabus in an unfair duel. God, that's a good fucking name. And both decide to see Scarabus. That's such a good name. Oh my god. A Beldo to exact revenge, and Craven to look for his wife's ghost, which Beldo reportedly saw at Scarabus's castle. After fighting off an attack by Craven's coachman, who acted under the influence of Scarabus, they're joined by Craven's daughter Estelle and Bedlow's son Rexford as they set out to the castle. At the castle, Scarabus greets his guests with false friendship, and Bedlow is apparently killed as he conjures a storm in an act of defiance. At night, however, Rexford finds Bedlow alive and well, hiding in the castle. Craven, meanwhile, is visited and tormented by Lenore, who is revealed to to be alive and well, too, having faked her death two years before to become Scarabus's mistress. As Craven, Estelle, Rexford, and Bedlow 
try to escape the castle, Scarabus stops them and they are imprisoned. Bedlow panics and begs Scarabus to turn him back into a raven rather than torture him. He then flees the dungeon by flying away. Craven is forced to choose between surrendering his magical secrets to Scarabus or watching his daughter be tortured. Bedlow secretly returns and frees Rexford and together they aid Craven. Craven and Scarabus sit facing each other and engage in a magical duel. After a series of attacks, counterattacks, and insults, during which Scarabus sets the castle on fire, Craven defeats Scarabus. Lenore tries to reconcile with him, claiming she had been bewitched by Scarabus, but Craven rejects her. Craven, Bedlow, Estelle, and Rexford escape just as the castle collapses on Scarabus and his mistress. In the final scene, Bedlow, still a raven, tries to convince Craven to restore him to human form. Craven tells him to shut his beak and says to the camera, Quoth the raven, nevermore. <laughs> oh my god. And that is the movie. Would you like some trivia? Yes, I would. The film was shot in 15 days. Jesus. Roger Corman says, Although they kept closely to the structure and story of the script, they did more improv on that film than any of his others. Huh. During shooting, Peter Laurie ad-libbed a number of famous lines in the film, including um, The Exchange, Vincent Price. Shall I ever see the rare and radiant Lenore again? Peter Laurie. How the hell should I know? <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fucking good. This is so fucking good. Oh, God. So apparently, uh, Vincent Price handled the improv well. Boris Karloff struggled with it. Well, that's because he was a priest. Yeah. <laughs> um, the tension between Peter Lorre and Jack Nicholson as father and son came from the actors rather than the script, <sighs> as they hated each other. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. Boris Karloff said he was annoyed at having to wear a heavy cape. And the scene of the burning interior of the castle was reused from the uh, adaptation of The Fall of the House of Usher. <laughs> what? So it's just stock footage. Oh my god. That's extremely good. Do you want to hear some reviews? I would love to. Do we also want to hear any critical reviews? Uh, if you got some good ones, yeah. Throw them at me, because... Um, the New York Times referred to it as comic book nonsense. Wow. Strictly a picture for the kitties and the bird-brained, quoth the critic. Wow. Cool. <laughs> yeah, like... Bunch of fucking right. squares. Right? <clears throat> I only have two, uh, two customer reviews for this. Okay. Um, the first one is a four-star review from, uh, from B-Fan. Titled B fan, B fan, as in a fan of the letter B. Gotcha. Um, this this one comes to us from the United Kingdom. Again, don't go to England. Don't go to England. It's titled "Don't Get in a Flap." Get this Corman classic. <clears throat> Arrow, give us another Roger Corman classic, and once again, it's a winner. The movie stars V Price, Peter Lorre, and Boris Karloff. And all give great comedy performance a lot. I think it's because Corman gets the best out of them. 
Now about the disc, we get a very nice widescreen picture and with good sound on the extra side, you get loads of very nice extras on the disc and a nice booklet. On the cover, we get a very nice repo of the poster and it looks very nice with its yellow cover. So once again, another winner from Arrow! If you enjoy this movie, just buy this disc. You won't see it better than this again. So well done, Arrow! Why was Arrow in all caps, I assume? That's a great question. <laughs> but also, um, Corman was in all caps every time, and so was V. Price. I don't know why he didn't write just Vincent Price, but it's V. Price and Peter Laurie. I think it's just that people who leave public reviews like that are weird. People are very weird. I have one more review for us from Roger. Um, it's titled Review of the Raven, so straight and to the point. This is a five-star review, and it reads, I give it four stars for the following. Not only... For the following, not only did it show state-of-the-art special effects for its time, but like all movies from that era, it required acting. It didn't rely on the special effects to carry the movie. Also, seeing the very, very young Jack Nicholson in a movie such as this was very entertaining. Cue. I thought this was a review from, um, what's his fuck? Alarak from StarCraft II. What the fuck is that man's name? He played Q. Oh, John Delancey. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, yes. I I think I think this is a John Delancey review. Yeah, that would make sense. His in his under his pen name Roger clearly. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay. Um. Do we have anything else we normally do with this show? Fuck if I know. It's been way too long. There's no canon anymore. Whatever we make no, up right now no. is canon. Nectar right? doesn't exist anymore. Uh, I'm I'm okay with that actually. Yeah, it's um, played out. We totally no more no we're done. We're done. No with more Nectra. Yeah. Um so this is the first movie in establishing our unstone theory verse true canon yeah, edition. Canon two. Um this time it's really canon. Canon two colon artillery <laughs> yes exactly this is the artillery season <laughs> um okay so um thanks for listening <laughs> we did it <laughs> unsound theories is a production of so says media you can follow us on Twitter at Unsound Theories or follow Kat and Kira at ZaftiCat, Z A F T I K A T, and at Sapphire underscore Mess, respectively. The best way to support the work we do is to tell a friend and leave a five star review on Apple Podcasts or Good Pods. If you'd like to support our work monetarily to help us keep the lights on, you can do so by going to patreon.com/slash so says media. 
There you'll gain access to behind-the-scenes content, Patreon-exclusive episodes, and so much more. The music used in this episode is Dance on All the Cell Phones by Chris Postel. You can find this and Chris's other work at soundslikeanearful.com. Until next time, stay wizard. Stay wizard.